ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talks Hey. Reed Nordine, welcome to ATV Talk. Thank you for spending some time with me. Hey, glad to be here. Well, I really appreciate it. I know that you're a really busy guy and our schedules had had trouble connecting. And uh, I just, uh, I really, really appreciate it. No problem. Glad to do it. Finally. Well, not a lot of people know. I mean, I'm sure some people do that, that I wrote, I got to ride Kawasaki's for you for a year. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was uh, back when I got to start uh, an ATV program, a fledging ATV program. This the second time around for Kawasaki. Right. Uh, and it was, it was pretty fun. We didn't have the most competitive machines, but I think we all had a good time. Uh, I, I drove that 700 beast as hard as it would go. <laughs> yeah. You and a, you and quite a few other people too. Yep. Well, it, that, that bike or that machine won the very first pro-am works race they ever put on. Uh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, when we raced in Idaho, when they did the very first ATV onlys race, uh, they had a the, the pro race and the pro am race, and and Tim Gillespie and I were the two guys on the Kawasaki 700s, and and we went one two. Nice, that's cool. That's a cool story. Oh, it was awesome. But let's talk about you. How did you get involved in off roading? Uh, I blame it on my dad. Um, my dad was a, uh, an implant from Minnesota in the late forties, early fifties. And he got into Jeeps because of hunting and also searching for military surplus out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and then he started racing. He raced the very first Baja 1000 in 1967. And that's kind of the beginning of it right there. And, uh, kind of an interesting story that I didn't even know until just recently, uh, I knew he won his class at the first race, but I didn't know he was the second overall four-wheeled vehicle to finish. And it didn't get much notoriety, unfortunately, because the vehicle that he raced was a two-wheel drive Jeep. Uh, and that was the brainchild of uh, Brian Chichua, who my dad raced for. And Jeep said, we don't want to promote a two-wheel drive victory. so." there was a guy that won the race in a four wheel drive vehicle. So they kind of promoted his class and not my dad. So that's kind of the way his career went in off road. He was kind of uh, a dollar short and a minute late and many, 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 many times. Uh, but that's anyways, that's what started my love of off road, uh, chasing him down in Mexico. And, uh, I wanted to start racing and a motorcycle, to be honest with you, I wanted to start racing a motorcycle and, he wouldn't let me. He said, no, nah, motorcycles are dangerous. So what did I get? I got a, I got a 1980 or 81 Honda 250R <laughs> started racing. So that was my first racing experience. On a three-wheeler. On a three-wheeler. <laughs> motorcycles are dangerous, but here, ride this three-wheeler. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, how, how many, how long did you race three wheelers down in Baja? Uh, well, I raced, uh, I raced a lot of, and I wish I could remember the desert series that used to race in, uh, the Barstow area, the high desert of California. Uh, I raced a lot of that series and I can't remember, but it was pretty much ATVs only race there. Raced a little bit of Baja with uh, my then brother-in-law, Glenn Elliott. Uh, raced a couple 250s, 500s, and I don't think I ever raced the five or the thousand on a, on a three-wheeler. Uh, raced a couple of score races in in um, uh, the high desert when I think the San Felipe when they canceled that one year. I raced it up there, and then I raced uh, uh, actually the Riverside Grand Prix. Uh, a couple of times on a, on a 200. So I started racing the 200 X and, uh, we kind of built a couple of different custom vehicles and we were the only, that was when factory on, it was racing those, uh, two strokes. Right. And so I got to race the four stroke, uh, for a couple of different people, none of my own bikes. I was always racing for somebody else at the time. And that so I kind of got serious about it and wanted to get really serious and so I started I basically spent uh almost a full year of training thinking I was going to be a racer at some point mostly desert and uh, uh I got an opportunity to uh go to a race and help a friend of mine that actually ended up being uh well I ended up being related to him for a little while uh, Jim Putman, who was a factory Suzuki racer. And I went up to a race up in middle of California, someplace. I don't even remember where it was and ended up talking to the Kawasaki guys and, uh, never raced a three wheeler again. I just, I became a mechanic at that point. And that started my, that was in 1985 and eight, yeah. The uh, end of 80, uh, no, that had to have been 85. And, uh, that started my relationship with Kawasaki that lasted 30 years. Wow. How, how long were you an ATV mechanic at that point? Uh, well, our, the entire duration of, uh, the existence of the factory team. So I was Jimmy White's mechanic in the beginning, um, started in late 85 uh, did 86, 87. And then, uh, I think it was 80. I don't even remember the, the, a lot of that's the blur, but when the, the, we stopped racing three wheelers because the four wheeler came out we started racing the Takati and had pretty decent success initially. Um, and we won well to back up. We won, you know, Jimmy had great success on the original three wheeler. Uh, Takati. And then the second generation, we won the very first race we ever went to. And then when the four, uh, the Takati four came out, we won the first race we ever went to with that as well. So, you know, it was a good, good run while we had it. And then unfortunately things unraveled with, uh, uh, the ATV market at that time and everybody stopped racing and it became, uh, all aftermarket at that point for many, many years and was really successful. but. I gravitated from there, from the ATV program. And because of my Baja experience, uh, Kawasaki Team Green wanted to race uh, more off-road. So in 1987, uh, I built a KX500 for Larry Rossler and Ted Honeycutt. And we went down to Baja and the Baja 500 and won the very first race we ever went raced with in Mexico. And that started a nine-year run of uh, Baja 1000 victories. That uh, actually it was the following year, but it was it was a good time. So I went from ATVs to desert off-road stuff, and uh, enjoyed every minute of it. Got to travel the world with Larry Rossler doing ISDEs, and uh, it just had a good old time. Well, that's pretty awesome. Larry was is still he can still ride from what I hear. Oh uh, yeah, he he goes like he goes like stink. There's no doubt about it. Even though he's 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 a little bit older now, but it hasn't slowed him down a ton. 
And he's one of those guys that can get on any motorcycle or in any race car and be a threat, you know, not, you know, not overalls on a bike anymore, but for sure overalls in a car. So. Well, yeah, he does pretty good in the trucks, right? Yes, exactly. Yep. Did you you work with him in the trucks at all? Uh, a little bit. Yes. Um, because I'm, (laughs) I, I can never get enough off-road. What happened was uh, I I worked for Team Green for many years doing the off-road stuff. And then I, I got married and wanted to start a family. So I moved to the R&D department at Kawasaki. And that enabled me to basically stay home a whole bunch. You know, we we were gone on the week, weekdays a lot, but not so much on the weekends. So I needed my off-road fix. So I started helping uh, off-road truck teams through some friends of mine, um, in about 19, uh, kind of my first real official stuff was with the, uh, ultra wheels truck, uh, which won the 1994 Baja 1000 overall with Jimmy Smith. And, uh, that truck was built by Russ Wernemont and him and I became friends. And so I followed that truck around the desert for a couple of years. And then when the ultra wheels team sold that truck, um, it, they sold it to the terrible hurt team, uh, Ed, Tim and Troy. So they started campaigning it, but they had been in a buggy for years. So they didn't know anything about the truck. So I kind of followed that truck, uh, to that team and I helped them for 12 years. And that was, during their heyday when they won multiple, multiple class championships and tons of Baja victories. So it just, it kept me involved with Baja and on the side, I was still helping the team green guys a little bit by building kicks 500s for different uh, riders that weren't factory riders. They were supported, but so I kept my fingers. I was pretty busy doing stuff for fun and for, for work. So it was a good time. Well, you, it sounds like you got all over the place. Did you have any ties to the KX 500s they ran in best in the desert? Yes. Yeah. What happened? Unfortunately, when Danny Hamill was killed in 1995, I believe, uh, I actually wasn't at that race. I was, I was in Louisiana testing what was to become basically that bike that you raced, uh, the KFX 700. Um, I had a, a testing trip and I couldn't go to Baja that year. And unfortunately that was the year that Danny Hamill got killed. Um, and that basically changed the course of the off-road program for Kawasaki. Uh, and then that was my last year in R&D and I moved back to team green as the off-road coordinator. And we started racing, well, it was shortly after that. We started, we moved from Baja basically to the best in the desert series. Uh, and we won lots of races and lots of championships with uh, a few different riders, Shane Esposito, Destry Abbott, uh, you know, a long list. And we had multiple, we did multiple classes. You know, we'd race the 125 class, the 250 class, the uh, four stroke class it was a four, small cc four stroke class with the klr 300 and the kx 500 so the all our factory racers raced the 500 we did that for for many years too until you know, kawasaki was the last one to come out with a four stroke so we raced the 500 for at least one year after it was non-existent we quit selling it uh so there was a gap between the then and the when the 450 came out so it was a, it was a good run in off road for sure. Between the CR five hundred and the KX five hundred, those were two bad machines. <laughs> yeah, they're they're fun they're fun bikes, no doubt. I mean, you get a good running, uh, prepped five hundred, and they're amazing in the desert. And to watch, you know, the best riders on the planet navigate a KX five hundred was that was something special. I think the riders of today are spoiled with machines that are not as taxing on your body um, so that they can ride the terrain and, and go probably as fast or faster. But those guys with those, th- those old uh, two strokes, man, they would just beat you to death. 
Yeah, yeah, they were they were a challenge for sure, but it was amazing how fast they went. And, you know, some of our times from Baja, our speed averages in Baja back in the day, or even best in the desert, were much higher than average speeds than what the race trucks and cars were at the time. So we always won the overall. And now you don't see that as much anymore. So the speed averages have been down a little bit in some of the cases. And and now the, the trophy trucks and class one cars uh, are beating uh, the motorcycle entries these days. Did you get to go test, like be the, were you just the wrench or did you get to go ride and test some of these machines so that you could help the mechanics more? Or, I mean, the riders more. Um, I would test a lot myself. Um, not so much when we had the factory, uh, motocross or factory off-road race team. Um, but during my time in, in the R and D department, I always got to ride. I always got to ride the ATVs and I always got to ride the bikes when they came out. Some of the early versions of, you know, the KLX 650, when it came out, it was originally a 600. So I got to spend a lot of time on that thing. Um, KL, what was no KX 250, which wasn't a very good motorcycle, but got to do a lot of that stuff. So it was a, a fun period from like 1989 to 93 or so when I stopped doing that right around there uh, and then went back into racing and I've always loved racing and it just, it was, it was a good time to do it for sure. That's awesome. The, being the director put a lot of weight on your shoulders, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> one story from that I'll never, ever, ever forget was in, in the year 2000, uh, we raced the Casey Bolts best in the desert, Nevada 2000 race, which was a stage race over multiple days. Uh, and we had, we had raced one of those before, but the 2000 was the big, 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 big one. And I spent months and months and months preparing that, that for that, not just the motorcycles. You know, I had good guys that were taking care of the motorcycles. I didn't have to worry about that so much, but all the logistics for a five day race with multiple teams and all the people that we had to support it. I spent a ton of time in Nevada doing a lot of research to, uh, to help make that event go smoothly. And I mean, I always worried about making sure I had every dot dot I'd and, or every I dotted and every T crossed. And, uh, it started out extremely well. We had two very, very talented teams and the whole goal then was to beat Honda. You know, Honda was it, uh, and they were racing that race. And on the third day, I think it was, we had a, uh, what we kind of thought was an insurmountable lead. And, you know, we had some, it was because it started in Vegas and ran counterclockwise and we were leaving Reno, uh, kind of headed back down on the bottom loop and Destry started the Destry at it, started the race. And, uh, I don't know, we went one pit, one pit, two pits, three pits, and we had increased our lead again. And so we're, you know, basically telling the riders that, Hey, we just, you know, at, at this point, something drastic has to happen before we, you know, lose time to these guys. So we need to not worry about it and just kind of, you know, just start having some fun at the, at the end. Uh, so our bikes were actually running one and two at that point. And, uh, Destry had a problem, uh, between two of the pits and, uh, in, basically knocked himself out. Uh, he was going over these massive high speed rollers at speed. Uh, it's a lot of the same stuff that they run on Vegas to Reno now, but it was backwards. So the guys had never run it that direction before. And he did this high speed flyer and hit his head on the handlebars. And basically I don't think he crashed it, but I'll never know because he never, he doesn't remember it. And he got, kept going, bloody nose, bloody mouth, uh, kept going and, but didn't follow the race course and ended up 30 miles off course and at a military checkpoint, uh, or a military gate basically. 
and the security there uh, scooped him up. They knew there was a race going on and uh, they got in touch with best in the desert. Best in the desert got in touch with us because we were obviously waiting at the pit, had no idea where he was. No one saw him because he wasn't on the ground and he just kept going. He just missed the next turn. So we had to go back and get him. Uh, and then we put, uh, so he was racing with Brian Brown and we were able to re-enter the race where basically where he crashed. We had to do one section twice. And, uh, but we were hours and hours and hours and hours behind. And the, that day finished in Tonopah. And that was the most heartbreaking race day I've ever had in my career because we went from a high of going to win the Nevada 2000 to where's Destry. And, you know, no one could, you know, we were concerned for, for him for sure. Uh, and then once we found out he was safe and on his way to the hospital, he had to get stitches and everything else and get his head checked out. You know, we kept racing and then he made it to town finally. And I hadn't, I hadn't drank any alcohol in many, 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 many years. And that day I had to have a beer. I had to, I had to, I had to help myself because I really didn't want to finish that race at that point. I wanted to turn around and just go home because I felt so bad about the whole thing. And, uh, but anyways, we ended up, ended up second that race. So, which was a bummer. And then Honda went on to win the Baja 2000, which we didn't compete in. And that was hard for me to watch those guys win those two races when I knew that uh, a half of a Destry at that point would have, we still would have killed them. But anyways, can't take it back now. It was an experience and uh, it was a great time with a lot of great people and, and a tremendous amount of volunteers that helped that program and that I'm friends with to this day. So it's, uh, it was a good time. Well, it sounds like it. I, I got to race the 1000. Uh, I didn't get to race the 2000. Um, but that was a lot of fun that, that when we went out and did it for three days for the thousand, I don't know if you went to that race, um, for best in the desert. Which one was that? Nevada 1000. Yes. Yep. Yeah. We, we won that one, that stage race. We, we ended up winning that one. That's yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I missed, I missed that because you can go race a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of different things. I mean, the greatest race that I've ever raced or the greatest two is Vegas, Reno and Pendezvous. Oh yeah. Yep. Those races are just phenomenally fun. Yeah. I never got to go to, to any of the, the beach races and we sent a few racers over there on three wheelers back in the day. And uh, I never got to go to those, but I knew that they were, were real good races, but Baja was always something really special to me in the, in the 2000, uh, even though I worked for Kawasaki, again, I, on my side, I went down to and helped the Herbs brothers. And, uh, I got in their chase truck the morning that the race started and, uh, I, we had a spare transmission. It was a three seater. We had a spare transmission in the passenger seat. My co-driver at the time was, uh, I called him dome light because every time we got going, he'd fall asleep and I couldn't see him cause he's kind of sitting behind me, you know? Right. And, uh, so I was by myself a lot that race, even though he was with me and, uh, I got to watch the sun come up two different times and I never got tired chasing that race. And I, in Mexico, I'm very, very cautious about everything because it's it's the wild west down there and uh you got to be cautious about everything you know you've been down there a bunch and uh the last time i saw the class one car which was winning the race we ended up winning class one was about 30 miles from the from cabo and it was uh dark and that next 20 or so miles on the highway to get to Cabo was the hardest 20 miles I've ever driven in my life. And once I got there and knew that the car made it and everything else, then it was, it was hard to go sleep after that. But, 
that was that was a, a lot of fun that race for sure. In 2007, I got to go with Team Christie, um, and we went to Cabo, and to see the sun rise and set twice in one race was was pretty amazing. Really, I think uh, to be awake the entire time um, and uh, with some of the crazy things that went on. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily the guy in charge because Craig, the owner of the team was when he went to sleep, that's when all the bad stuff happened. (laughs) Everything got thrown at you then, huh? Well, yeah, nobody would take charge. So I just started telling people what to do. Let's just get this thing rolling. We got to race the race. We can't wait for this. You know, we need that. We need that pit truck at the pit now. So you got to go. And yeah, that, that's the interesting thing about Baja that, you know, everybody wants to do Baja, but they don't, those are the times that you don't realize, you know, yes, you're prepping the bike and yeah, you're, you're training to get yourself ready and you do your pre-running, but most people don't prep themselves for that long hours of being tired and, the the whole chase thing, you know, and the Baja 1000 just adds a whole new element to it, but you still get the same thing in the Baja 500. And uh, that's what separates the good racers from the guys that are just being sportsmen, you know, and, but I've heard some great sportsman stories too. And that's one reason why I like the Nora race because, you know, it's fun. Uh, you know, even though it's a stage race, it's the whole lot less pressure than there is at a normal Baja race. Right. I've never got to do that. Um, it's, I don't know if you could call it prepping cause I never did for myself. I just, you know, when the green flag dropped, it was go time and, and I have a specific job to do. And those guys on the bike, every one of them is my responsibility and I'll be darned if I'm going to miss a pit or if I'm going to take a nap, uh, I want to be there. And I want to be taking care of them and making sure that everything's okay. Uh, yeah. That's just how I felt. Um, I had a, a very good friend of mine that raced a car. And he asked me to be a part of that. And I would have to say for a single mechanic in, in, a, in a race, that's the hardest thing I've ever done. Because wow. you don't see your rider for all day. I mean, all day, you don't get to see him pit. You don't get to, you don't know anything. There's no communication. And if there's a problem or they get lost and they come in at 10 o'clock at night, you, you have to be ready and waiting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, I just have a different take on it. You know, I mean, I just, um, some people believe in that and some people just go to have a good time and you know, Hey, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. That's, that's one race that I wished that I got to experience. Uh, so I'm envious of all the Americans that have gone there, uh, and done well and just gone there to compete. Uh, but I know that it has to be taxing to go, you know, because of the stage races that I've been involved with, I know what it's like to get up every day and have to start again, but not for that many consecutive days. And to, like I said, to not have all the information, um, definitely challenging. So I enjoy watching those races now. It's a lot of fun. You do you do any racing now? Uh, actually, now yes. So I'm 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 back involved with uh, the Kawasaki KRX um, through Russ Warnemont, who I mentioned earlier, who was a a, a championship building trophy truck uh, designer and builder, and his son, who was a world class uh, RC car racer. Uh, has always wanted to race off-road and never has. Um, I actually got Russ involved with some early design stuff uh, on some side-by-sides. We built, him and I built a uh, a custom chassis side-by-side based on the old uh, 800cc uh, uh, Terex. Uh, and that was underpowered, but that was, you know, at the, in the early days when 800 was, was it the thousand had not, well, the thousand came out just when we finished. Um, so we had a great handling side by side, but no power at the time. <laughs> uh, it was a fun car, but we didn't do a, a ton with it. But, uh, 
that kind of sparked some stuff in him because he had quit in 1984 or five when he quit doing trophy truck stuff. He got into building Harley parts and was very, very successful at that and still is. Uh, and then over the years, I had him, he built a, a sand car for me that was uh, very, very unique. It was one of the earliest long travel sand cars. It was a mid-engine Mazda. It was a lot of cool stuff that I got to do with him at the time. And when I kind of talked him into doing UTV stuff, uh, he had an eye to basically have something at some point for his son to race. So we built, when the KRX 1000 came out, we decided, hey, let's build one of these things. So we got one. And I say we, I mean, I'm I'm the mechanic. He's the builder. I just kind of helped out, you know. Uh, he's the brains behind the whole operation. But I helped him with logistics and stuff. And because of my racing experience, uh, he wanted me to basically mentor his son racing because his son has never raced He's been passenger in a couple with CJ Greaves and a couple of different off-road races, but nothing super serious. Uh, so all last year was our first year. We raced Parker, the Best in the Desert Series last year. We won Parker. We won Laughlin. We won Vegas Torino. Uh, but we unfortunately DNF'd uh, the Silver State race when we were winning. And that ruined our chances at uh, uh, a championship in that series. And then Best in the Desert decided to shake some rules up for, in my opinion, no real good reason. Uh, and they ruled out our car, which was unfortunate. Um, so we had to change series because we weren't going to build a new car for just the best in the desert series because we didn't agree with the rule change and the rule change basically what it was was uh we moved the steering rack from a rear steer to a front steer which is every race car on the planet has front steer uh but not every oe utv does um and we also moved the shock to the lower a-arm which the rules allowed for both of those i mean every Holtz racing side by side made always had the shock mounted to the lower arm and front steer. And a lot, you know, the early Arctic cat had the same thing. Um, so it wasn't anything that was revolutionary, but in Russ's opinion, the way, you know, being a chassis designer, it was a better, better thing. So that's what made our car illegal. Even though we were underpowered and overweight in that class, we were still killing them because our car handled so much better. And the KRX is a very, very good, solid platform, uh, not only from durability, but uh, for comfort. I mean, I'm an old guy and I get out of Vegas Torino. I was ready to go back and turn around and go all the way to Vegas as a passenger navigator ballast or whatever you want to call me sitting in the right seat. Uh, I never got, never got really tired at all. I, and I haven't all year long. Um, so now we're racing, uh, the legacy series we've raced, uh, this coming weekend is the next race that, uh, we won the first race. Uh, the next one is at state line next weekend. And, uh, I won't be in the car this time because I have another engagement that I have to do. Uh, but it's a short race. It's a two day race that, which, those formats races are not my cup of tea. I don't really care for those that are not real desert races. It's a, it's more of a short course thing than it is a desert race. You know, you race eight laps around a nine mile course, two different days, kind of, I don't know. I, I'm just not a big fan of those. So missing that one's not going to be a big deal, but next on the list after that is the Nevada uh, the Baja Nevada, they call it, which is a 650 mile race. So longer than the, than Vegas Torino. So looking forward to that one. That's awesome. And you co-drive or navigate, uh, for your driver in, in all the long races. In, in all the races. Uh, yeah. Carson, Carson Warnemon is, is, is our driver. That's Russ's son. And, you know, he, he he didn't have a lot of racing experience, but he's a very, very good driver. So 
with my experience and his driving ability, every race is, is a classroom for him. And so we're constantly talking and I talk before the race and I talk, uh, you know, we talk a lot during the race and I'm just trying to walk him through the process about how to pass and, you know, strategies and how to drive in the dust because he'd never driven in the dust before and how to prep yourself for the race, you know, the, you know, sitting in that seat and being, being ready, whether it's your helmet or anything you're wearing and, uh, you know, being comfortable and trying to teach him to cop to, to, uh, focus on it. And then when in Vegas Torino, when we were in the dark, he'd never raced in the dark before. So it's just all those little things that, you know, somebody that's new to the sport hasn't learned. So I'm getting a chance to to teach him and share some of my knowledge with him. And it's fun. I mean, uh, it's fun to win for sure. I mean, the couple of races we didn't win, it was no fun. Uh, but most of those were learning experiences uh, uh, for Carson and it's made him a better driver. So, you know, he doesn't need me this next race. He'll be, he'll be just fine. So, but It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I thought my racing days were over and when Russ asked me to to help him out, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll do it and see what happens. And, and I'm enjoying it. Um, it kind of gets me back into the logistics part of it. Uh, the race prep stuff is fun, you know, racing, it it can be fun. And and I like the, I like the, the pressure of it. Um, and I like racing against the good guys. So in best in the desert, we were able to do that with the rule change. It's kind of changed a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's, we got some good things on the horizon. So we're, we're looking forward to being competitive no matter where we go. That's awesome. How old is your driver? Uh, he's early twenties. I think he might be 24 or 25. Um, he's still pretty young. Yeah. And he's been, he's been all over the world. So he's a world traveler. And he's very smart. He's basically the, he's the fabricator on our team. I mean, his dad taught him a lot. He's, he's a really good fabricator and he's very, very smart uh, on chassis from all the stuff that he learned in uh, being an RC car driver. Cause you know, he would design and build a lot of his stuff for his RC car, a lot of the different teams that he ran for. So he, he's a good overall package. I'm just trying to make him better by, you know, sharing some of my experience with him from helping out with sponsor stuff to, to what he does behind the wheel. Is having the technical know-how the, the chassis setup works helps him as a, as a driver, I'm sure get a better feel for the car. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that helped us a lot in testing. Um, you know, like I said, the KRX is a, you know, it, it, everybody will argue it's underpowered and overweight. Uh, our race car is not the lightest car out there. It's not the most powerful car out there, but the way our chassis works, we can run max speed almost everywhere. And that's how, that's what's put us up front because it doesn't matter if the course is rough, uh, or choppy or tight or turny or whatever. Our car just works really, really well. Um, you know, we at at the mint, which we raced the mint the last race, uh, and you know, passing some of the best drivers and the best cars with the most money behind them in the rust stuff is really gratifying. Uh, oh, we caught those. We caught the Honda in the roughest part of the the course, the and drove around him like he was standing still. And so those, those events like that are really gratifying. You know, knowing. You know, it's a, it's a three man team basically with a few helpers that are helping us out and, you know, going against some of these pretty strong efforts, you know, even though we're not racing pro turbo, there's still some pretty good, there has been good, good programs and good efforts in that, in that pro NA class. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. How does the family take you going back into racing at this later stage? Uh, I think I have two boys, uh, and I think they're excited for me. Uh, they live a little bit vicariously for me through me a little bit. Uh, my wife, I've traveled on for, unfortunately I've traveled all my life and 
she's been a saint the whole time. There's been hard years for sure. Uh, but she's been very, very supportive. And the one thing through this whole COVID pandemic thing is I stopped traveling really. Uh, I used to do a lot of events for Walker Evans and basically there was no event. So we weren't doing a ton. And that's when we were started to build the KRX and get ready for racing when, when we did get back. Uh, and I can say that all these years of traveling, I really enjoy being home. Uh, I was born and raised in Southern California. And just recently we moved to, to Arizona, a little town in Arizona. And I love it here. It's, it's slow pace and I'm trying not to travel as much and just have fun, you know, playing with side by sides, playing with Jeeps, playing with, with bikes and just still living the off-road lifestyle and love it. Well, I, I see some of your posts on Facebook and, uh, you know, you're out doing something all the time and that's pretty awesome. Uh, I've been fortunate, you know, my days at Kawasaki were really good because I got to go everywhere all over the place. I work for a toy company, you know, that, that, how can that be horrible? You know, there's sure there's stress and it's a big corporation, but it's a, it's a toy company. You get to play. I got lots and lots of stories from my days in testing, going and doing stuff that people just don't get to do. And I kind of carried that over when I went to Walker Evans and still get to, to, to play with, with product, whether it's a KRX or a razor or a, you know, an ATV or a Jeep or uh, a slingshot. You know, I did all the development work on our shocks for a slingshot. So just a lot of fun stuff. So I, you know, there's, you know, travel involved, but it, I, I wouldn't trade any of that stuff. And now, uh, now that I'm in Arizona, I'm gravitating to a little bit, I'm still doing the Kawasaki, uh, race team stuff and helping out with other racers as well. Uh, I still have a role with Walker Evans, but not as, as deep as I was before. Uh, I'm just now, uh, also going to be spending a lot more time with the rugged radio guys doing, uh, events and stuff with them too. So I'm keeping busy, but still I work for no matter who I'm helping. It's I'm playing with toys, you know, and who wouldn't want to do that? Right. Right. I mean, I've never worked a day in my life. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was born into it, you know, from dad, you know, building the, the 9110s in the garage, which in turn turned into the business that we have today. And it just, uh, it's always been racing. It's always been off-road, you know, three-wheelers, motorcycles, four-wheelers, you know, just everything. And, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. It, 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 the, our industry is, is unique and the, it's not very big. And the, the people you meet in the industry are great. And the places you get to go are outstanding. And that, you know, I love the adventure side of, of, uh, our industry. So my, now with the side-by-side, it's easier on my old body than motorcycles were. So, and I came from a four-wheeler background, so it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, put on the helmet and go explore. And, you know, I love doing long rides and just, you know, trying to go as far as you can and get to places where you haven't been before. And that's, that's the beauty of, of, a bunch of our sport, you know, it's like, I don't do a lot of recreational trail riding, but I loved Vegas to Reno because you're riding through the harsh desert to you, you make a couple rights and left and you're dropping into a Valley of trees. And you're like, yeah. where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. I, I've enjoyed Nevada from my days with uh, the motorcycle stuff in the early days of best in the desert. Um, you know, going all over that state and experience and stuff. And what I've gotten to do the last three or four years is uh, I got a bunch of friends that have Raptors, Ford Raptors. And we started going up to Nevada and just exploring all of Nevada. We have some of the funnest trips uh, just running around and the roads up there are phenomenally great. They're just, they're all fun, smooth, almost like groomed trails and uh, going to the the history, seeing the history, you know, we've raced by it a million times, but to go there and explore and, 
and see the little towns and the and the people that have been there forever. And this goes to Mexico too. I've done a lot of rides in Mexico where we do the same thing. And those are racing in Mexico, racing in Nevada is stressful. Race days are always tough. The days leading up to it, the fun days pre-running and the fun days prepping, you can't replace those days. Those are awesome. And that's what's fun about Baja is pre-running. Racing, eh, it's tough. It's it's stressful. And you can't explain this to the average everyday human. No. No. The the freedom of being out there and going to some of these little towns, you know, you have a problem. You you have a broken bike or somebody's got a tire that's a problem. In Mexico, you can always find somebody to help. You're even if you're by yourself, you're really never stranded because the further south you go, the better the people get. It's it, that's always amazed me about Baja. Well, South America probably even better. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I believe that. Unbelievably great people, you know. I mean, uh, just phenomenal. You know? So I totally understand what you're telling me because every time we needed something or every time, even in Baja, every time we've needed something, there's always somebody there, you know, you're stuck or you're this and somebody's there to pull you out or, or give you a gallon of gas or whatever you need. Yep. Somebody always knows somebody that can help out. Yep. And, yeah. and you don't need to speak the same language no. because they understand for however it works at that given moment, you, you understand each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there are people that, you know, most of the people that you, you run into have experienced off-road in some form of fashion, whether it's a race or uh, a tour going down there, you know, they're passionate about the sport, even if they can't afford it, it's something that they live for when the Baja mill or, you know, the Baja 500 happens and, and it's, it's an event for them and they just love that. Yep. And I, I agree. Uh, I still, you know, looking at the calendar and you know, that race is going on and you're, and you're wanting to get some results. That's, that's the one thing I don't like. You can never get accurate information and, until it's all over. Yeah. And then the stories afterwards are always good too. Oh, always, always. Well, that's every desert race, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, it's the Baja is a special place, and I've been a part of you know all the Kawasaki wins, all the Terrible Herps wins, the Ultra Wheels wins. Uh, I've got to compete myself and win the Baja 500 and the Baja 1000 or UTD, and you know that it. I, I'm, I guess I've in, I've led a charmed Baja life. Mm-hmm. I don't go down. I don't go down there as much anymore, uh, just because I love the adventure up here in the states now. And, you know, travel to Mexico is, can be a challenge. Uh, and I got spoiled with my days of the, the top trophy truck team. So now it really needs to be, make sense for me to go down there, but I still enjoy, I mean, when the Martelli brothers were doing their, uh, legends rally, I went down there to help guide those events because they were fun. So just the, you meet the nicest people off road. That's all there is to it. Oh yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you this question and I've been thinking about it for the last half hour. And what was it like going from working with Jimmy to being Jimmy's boss? <laughs> well, I mean, I knew of Jimmy, but I didn't know him until the day I met him uh, at that race up in Northern California. And when Bruce Schoenstrom hired me, basically, well, let's see, that race was on the weekend. I met him on Tuesday. I started work on Wednesday and 30 years later, I was still there. And Jimmy and I are really good friends. Uh, Jimmy was hard. He was a driven individual that was him against an army of red. Uh, but we were, you know, him, Bruce, James DeGain and myself, we were in all in it together. And we were against the big red army at every turn and it, we just always felt like we were underdogs and that kind of drove us. And, and we never had to worry about Jimmy and his prep. Uh, I was a little nervous in the beginning, trying to be a factory mechanic. And, and I learned a lot the first year and he was patient with me. 
Um, but it was fun. And then help, kind of helping build that program was, was a lot of fun afterwards. And, you know, it was years, years later that Jimmy came up to me at one point and apologized to him, apologized to me basically for being an asshole <laughs> all, all, all the years I worked for him. And I never felt it that way at all. I mean, sure. I accepted his apology, but he was just a driven individual and I appreciated that. So I never had a problem doing the extra work for him because he wanted to win as bad as we did, you know? And that was that, that made it a little bit easier for sure. Because, you know, you, you put your heart and soul into something, something and you don't want to lose and there's races you're going to lose. Uh, but we, we won a lot and, to win against an army of red was, was satisfying. So is there still a rivalry between your loyalty to Kawasaki and your disdain for Honda? You know, it's funny. It's, uh, my Baja years really got me. I disliked red a lot. Uh, but I had great friends at Honda, Bruce Ogilvy and myself, even though we were competitors, uh, we were very respectful of each other. And I really, really uh, uh, have a lot of respect for him as an individual and for what he did at Honda. So it, he was a special guy, even though he was a jerk once, you know, we were on the track. Uh, so I didn't like red for a long time and I bled green. Um, when I, my career ended at Kawasaki, uh, left the two-wheeled world, I kind of became colorblind at that particular point. And that transcended a little bit once I went to Walker Evans that, you know, now I'm dealing with Polaris, I'm dealing with k and I'm dealing with Yamaha and, you know, on development projects. And and so it, it, it changed me a little bit the last six or seven years there. And, you know, now I own a red truck. I never thought I'd own a red truck in my life. And, uh, uh, I got a Husky motorcycle in my garage, you know, and I got, but, and I, I built a custom Honda four wheeler. So I got lots of, I, I I'm, I'm loyal. Yes. And I'm loyal to the people I'm with. Uh, but it's not a love hate thing anymore at all, because I have a lot of respect for my competitors and, and every brand out there. Like I'm, I'm envious when somebody comes out with a new product because they got a good product now and now we have to compete against them unless it's ours. Uh, so it's, that's just the great part about the sport, you know? And now that I don't have to be all one color, it just kind of makes it more, that much more enjoyable. What's your take on the overall industry and the health of it in the, in the motorcycle ATV world uh, right now? Well, it's, it's phenomenally good. I mean, and it's the whole thing is so illogical that, you know, we go through a pandemic and people are not working and people are sequestered and everything else, but yet people are out camping, you know, people are going to do things to get away and it brought people closer to their family. It, it kind of reinvigorated the whole off-road industry, the motorcycle industry, and which makes no sense to me whatsoever, how that is the case. Uh, and people were still spending money like it's going out of style, even though a lot of people were out of work. But I think it's made a lot of new off-road fans out there. And a lot of people that may not have ridden or driven for years got back into it. So it's really good for the sport. It's been good for the sport. Super strong, like motorcycle sales are have been off the charts compared to, you know, when it took a dive in 2008. And, uh, you know, it may never be at those numbers, but because it's hard to build that many vehicles these days and nobody was prepared for it. Uh, but now, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's made used bikes more expensive, used quads, used ATVs, uh, side-by-sides, Jeeps, everything. It's made everything a little bit more valuable and, uh, people are keeping their stuff a little bit longer and accessorizing their stuff. And it's, it's really strong to see. I've always been worried about government overreach in our industry. 
And we saw it in the three-wheeler days. And unfortunately, we saw that go away. Um, it may have gone away on its own at some point, but I mean, it's ATV racing survived many, 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 many years on the aftermarket. And, you know, the aftermarket was as good a, about ATV racing as the factory teams were, you know, uh, they were developing a lot of really cool product. And it was, it, I love to watch that and see, even though I wasn't involved in ATV racing, I love to see the innovation that the aftermarket companies did uh, in those years when there was no uh, factory involvement. But, you know, even today's day and age, when you got a thousand C, well, now you got a 2000 CC uh, off road vehicle that the side by side that's not really a side by side. And you just, I just hope that the government doesn't come in and say, hey, you know, we got to have rules and regulations and there's got to be schools and licenses and all that stuff. But I guess we need to all thank Yamaha for fighting every one of those lawsuits because now you don't see lawsuits over these things, even though they're high power, lots of wheel travel and somewhat unexperienced drivers. Um, So those are the things that I kind of worry about. I wish there was a little bit more education for these new customers and new people coming into the sport. Um, Because everybody wants to be, Barnelli Jones or Ivan Stewart or Walker Evans, when they get behind the wheel, because they have a gas pedal, a steering wheel and a roll cage, they're instantly a race car driver. You know, on an ATV or motorcycle, you still have to have skill to ride it. Uh, an a-, a UTV, you don't have any, uh, your grandma and grandpa, you know, your little brother can drive it. And I just wish there was a little bit better education for the new people coming into the sport. So our sport doesn't get a bad name from people running without helmets to just driving dangerously or not having respect for the environment or their fellow camper or whatever. So um, that's, that's one of the things that I think is we're missing is uh, the education process as well, because when we started going to the dunes, Hey, you, you, you're on the right side, you raise your hand at a witch's eye. You don't do this around the camps. You don't do that around the camp. You know, you had some etiquette and there's no etiquette anymore. It's, it's harder to see. And it's also been, you know, we go out to Barstow a lot for testing and, you know, in the summer months when it got warm, you'd never see anybody out testing. So we could always, you know, there was always OEs out to testing different things and we'd see during the summer months, but you know, with the pandemic, it didn't slow people, the heat didn't slow people down. There were still people out there camping in the heat of the summer and uh yeah it, there's and there's no blm there's well I, if you go to glamis there's quite a few but you go anywhere out in the high desert these days and you don't see them like you used to see them in some of the more popular areas they're still there trying to write tickets and stuff but there there's not enough education i wish there was more i wish there was more to just to help the sport yeah, that, that would that would definitely increase, uh, decrease the impact of the government coming in, because without education, you will have some some regulations hit us. And and, you know, they did it to the watercraft industry. You know, if Honda would have fought all those lawsuits back in the day, the three wheeler industry might have been totally different or they've over the four wheeler industry might have never came to be because of you don't yeah. know. Yeah, we don't we don't know, but we need to we need to be good stewards. And you know, with my experience now and all that I've seen, uh, you know, whenever I'm out there riding, I'm kind of uh, politely trying to educate people when I see them do something wrong. Um, I do the extra, and the people that I ride with do the extra to clean up when we see a mess and just help you know help the sport in, in small ways. You know, even if we can't directly educate these people, hopefully it's lead by example. Exactly. Exactly. Reed, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule and, and taking time away from your family to, to, to sit down with me and tell your story. I would, I believe we didn't get all of it in and I would like to um, reschedule with you if we possibly could to have you come back and, and sit down and get a little more in depth into some of the, the racing setups and, and what it was like in the 
intricate workings of Kawasaki and, and how that all worked. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to come back. Yeah. I, I know it was kind of, uh, a 30,000 foot view on, on a lot of subjects, but, uh, yeah, I'd love to come back and, and, and discuss any topic a little bit more. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.